Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and first off, I apologize for the late start time tonight. Uh, things that were out of my control, but I'm here. Instead of postponing tonight, I wanted to at least come on and talk to you guys for a little bit. want to welcome all of our viewers if you're joining us for the first time. Want more information about our show, please visit our website at deadtalklive.com. Also, please visit our YouTube channel, which is also called Dead Talk Live. Please go ahead and subscribe. And if you're there right now, please hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. Let's welcome some of our Instagram viewers. We have Holland with us. Uh, let's see. We have Ask. We have Marcelo with us. Welcome to you guys on the YouTube side. Uh, we got Philip Thompson, who is on YouTube today instead of Facebook. We have our moderators, Khaleesi and Singer Chick. We got Cece Wheezy with us. Colette, Lindsay, Lisa, Sammy are all with us on Facebook. Again, my apologies. But the good news is, is that these projects that I've been working on day and night for Dead Talk Live and Dead Talk News have seemed to have been completed. So I'm hoping starting next week that we're going to go back to, you know, our regular schedule and not me start five or so minutes late. Today, it's a lot longer than that. And again, my apologies. A little scheduling note, uh, because of some stuff that I got to do this weekend, I will not be doing the show tomorrow night. So I will be back with you guys Monday night. Monday night, February 8th, we are going to have a special guest with us, the star of the movie Followed, uh, Matthew Solomon, who played Mike, sorry, dropped the mic on the movie Followed, is going to be our guest. Uh, if you guys have not watched it, I mentioned this a lot throughout this week. This is a good movie. You can watch it on your video on demand platform of choice it's available as part of amazon prime if you're an amazon prime subscriber you don't have to rent it or buy it it's part of the subscription and you can watch it there so he's going to be our guest matthew solomon this coming monday so after tonight no shows this weekend but i will be back monday night and I was debating or not what the scheduling is, that schedule thing is that I got to do this weekend. But I'm going to go ahead and share it with you guys. I mean, I don't hold anything back. Uh, I see no reason to hold it back. Uh, per my manager's wishes, I have to go get headshots done. So that's right. Tomorrow, I'm going to have to go shopping for clothes because as i've told you guys all in the past i'm just a t-shirt guy that's all i have is t-shirts i have maybe one button down shirt that i have not worn in several years and it was when i was uh slightly bigger so it does not fit me anymore so tomorrow i have to go clothes shopping and i discussed it with my manager what the hell am i supposed to wear so she gave me some suggestions, and I'm going to go for, how many of you guys saw the movie Grease with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John? You know, she's like, you can wear like a leather jacket and a solid colored t-shirt. 
I'm like, all right, all right. I'm getting the vibe. I'm getting the vibe. So I'm going to go for the T-Bird look. That's right. I'm going to go for the T-Bird look. I'm going to get the leather jacket. I'm going to get, you know, a nice white or black T-shirt. I can't have any logos on it. And uh, that's what I'm going to go with. And uh, so I have to go out tomorrow and do that. And then Sunday is when uh, I got to do the photo shoot. So anyway, it's a little embarrassing. For some reason, I feel embarrassed saying it. But I'll be back with you guys on Monday. Today, it's going to be a little bit of an abbreviated show. We are going to be discussing the movie from 1988. I know that's going back a ways, but the movie called The Seventh Sign. Uh, Cece, I know you're a big, you've seen a lot of movies. I don't know if you've seen this one. This is from 1988, starting Demi Moore. Michael Bean is also in it. Uh, great movie. It's about the second coming of Christ and to deliver judgment upon the earth. I have a, a like a nine minute video of somebody who did a review on it. Ah, CC Weezy seen it. I, I was kind of sure you did. I was kind of sure you wouldn't have let that one pass you. It was a great movie. Loved it. One of my all time favorites. Uh, if you haven't watched it, of course, go ahead and watch it. It's called The Seventh Sign. Uh, Demi Moore is in it, Michael Bean is in it, it's a great cast, great story, great movie, you won't be disappointed. want to welcome Jade, who's with us on Facebook, from the Philippines. Welcome Jade from the Philippines. We have a nice audience here tonight. Uh, let's see, so let's just get started. A very slow news day today, and... I mean, really slow, like nothing that interesting. In fact, this article right here is probably the most interesting thing that came out today. The 12 darkest moments in The Walking Dead. All right. There's been no shortage of those, but let's see which 12 they have picked. The Walking Dead has been airing since 2010 and over the last 11 years has never shied away from portraying the dark and shocking aspects of his post-apocalyptic setting. Fans have been forced to say goodbye to dozens of great characters, often in particularly grisly fashion. And when I said that, Noah's death just flashed right before me. Uh, and the violence, drama, and tone has always kept audiences on their toes. Over the last 10 seasons, there have been sudden splashes of violence, characters being killed off with little to no warning, and antagonists who have pushed their madness and evil ways to the breaking point. All of this and more has led to some decidedly harsh moments, many of which still traumatize fans to this day. It's fair to say that some moments, such as the death of Carl, or the loss of Rick haven't gone down gone down well with audiences, but there are still plenty of seriously awesome, if horrifying, sequences that show off just how great the AMC zombie drama can be. With that in mind, here are the 12 darkest things to have ever happened on The Walking Dead. And then they give a spoiler warning. 
All right, the downfall of Shane Walsh. We're going way back now. All right, back in the early days of the show, the primary plot revolved around the love triangle of Rick, Shane, and Lori. During Rick's days in a coma, Shane and Lori had started an affair, believing Rick was dead. When Officer Friendly returned, though, Shane was cast aside and Rick was able to get his family back. And I'm going to say it again. I'm going to put the onus. You can't just put that on Shane. Laurie, Rick was in a coma for five weeks. We know that. It did not take long for her, for her to find out her husband was dead, grieve him, and then go with another man. Five weeks. Throughout the first two seasons, uh, Shane begins to crack. First, he becomes violent, beating Carol's abusive husband to a bloody pulp. Then he became desperate, assaulting Laurie during the group stint at the CDC. Later, Rick learned about the affair and Laurie's pregnancy, and Shane struggled to maintain a hold of his sanity. In his, uh, in his final plunge to the dark side, Shane killed innocent farmhand Otis in order to escape a walker horde, murdered the group's prisoner Randall, and set up a trap for Rick. The plan failed, and Rick was forced to put his friend down. The whole storyline was incredibly dark, escalating with every passing episode until Shane was too far gone and his death signaled a new era of the show. And going back to that fateful night when Rick killed Shane, you got to remember when Rick stabbed him, Shane was putting down the gun. He was in the process of putting down the gun. Uh, Rick did not make the wrong choice. He had to take him out. Just because he talked him down that one minute, no way in hell do I believe that was going to last. He was going to eventually going to keep trying to kill him if Rick did not do it first. And I think Rick realized that, and that's why he did what he had to do. Number 11, Beta's Madness. That's just pure awesomeness right there. Uh, there was a lot of disturbing moments within the Whisperer War arc, but Beta's final stretch on the show reached new heights of unsettling. After the death of Alpha, Beta began carrying her severed head around in a bag and kept bringing it up to his ear as though it was talking to him. That was, that's pretty batshit crazy right there. Later, he killed the reanimated head and used part of Alpha's face to make a new mask for himself. The madness did not stop there, though. After building up a new horde in the hopes of destroying the communities and getting revenge on his nemesis Daryl and Negan, Beta began hallucinating that the walkers around him were talking to him and followed his orders as if, as if they were regimented soldiers. Beta had a good to... Uh, sorry... Beta had a good go at bringing down the communities, and although he was brutally killed by Daryl after getting knifed in both eyes, watching Beta's final moments on the show still made for a threatening and creepy affair. 
he had an awesome death. Number 10. All right. Gabriel Sins. I'm surprised this made the list. I got to be honest with you because I'm assuming they're referring to him locking out his congregation while the apocalypse was breaking out. We never got to see that. We only just heard it, uh, heard him recount the story and the evidence uh, on the outside of the church where people were writing for him to go to hell for what he did and all that other stuff. But we never actually got to see a bit of that. And now thinking about it, I would really love to see that. That would be a, that would make for a damn disturbing episode on the spin-off show Tales of the Walking Dead. That would be a great episode since it's going to be an anthology type show anyway where every episode is going to be on its own. I would love to see how exactly that happened. And Gabriel's initial reaction, him locking out his congregation as they came knocking at the one place they thought they could find sanctuary, that was their church, Uh, that would be great. I would love to see that. When Father Gabriel Stokes was introduced in the show's fifth season, he was nothing more than a slippery and secretive coward who was clearly hiding something about his past. Despite Rick trying to get him to spill the beans, Gabriel was tight-lipped. That was until a run to a local store that ended with him seeing the reanimated corpse of an old friend. Eventually, Gabriel broke. After the disease struck and the world was plunged into chaos, the priest locked the doors of his church in fear and simply stood by and listened as his parish was torn apart and chased off outside. One of them left a note on the side of the church, you'll burn for this. And it's funny, as I was reading that and thinking, you know, in my head, what it must have looked like, the congregation trying to get in and they couldn't get into this really cheesy small town church off the beaten path. But yet here in real life, we had a group of people break into the United States Capitol that is protected by its own police force. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, reality is a lot stranger than fiction, guys. I keep saying it, but it's the truth. All right, number nine, Carl's Eye. In the season six, in season six, Alexandria was overrun with walkers. And the survivors trapped in the community had to mount a daring escape. Covering themselves in Walker Guts, Rick, Carl, Gabriel, and the remaining Anderson family, Jesse, Ron, and Sam, moved into the horde in hopes of getting to safety. Unfortunately, no one seemed to account for the fact that little Sam was the most annoying and naive character of all time. He was a kid. Give him a break. And talking about that episode, where were they going? Do you guys remember? I completely forgot. I know they were trapped inside the house. Where were they trying to get to? The house was being overrun. Sorry. Shut up, Siri. The house was being overrun. We know that. They had to leave or die. But 
Oh, okay. CC Weezy says that we're going to the armory. That makes sense. Obviously, to get the weapons. Unfortunately, no one seemed to account that Sam, like they called him annoying and naive. All right, he was a little annoying. Out in the horde, Sam started begging his mother to turn back, grabbing the attention of the walkers and causing Sam and Jesse to be devoured. This was pretty dark, but things got worse really quick when Ron went to kill Rick in a rage and Michonne killed him at the last second. He let off a shot that hit Carl in the face, leading to Carl losing his eye. The whole episode is incredibly dark, but this sequence easily takes care as it's the most unsettling and cruel moment. But after that, we saw some awesomeness in Rick Grimes when he was just completely frustrated. Uh, his, his son was barely hanging on to life. He grabbed his hatchet, didn't care about anybody else, and went out and started taking them out one at a time. Definitely one of Rick Grimes' most badass moments on The Walking Dead. The spiked border. Uh, I definitely think they're talking about the Kingdom Day, the Kingdom Fair Massacre. As The Walking Dead near the end of its ninth season, audiences really didn't need any more proof of just how sadistic and deranged Alpha could be. She abused her daughter, killed her own husband, and was more than willing to see a baby die because it was too loud. In the penultimate episode of the season, though Alpha found a way to one-up herself. After Daryl, Michonne, Carol, and Yumiko head out to find some missing hilltop residents, they're suddenly trapped and outnumbered by Beta and a gaggle of whisperers. Alpha then appeared and took Daryl to see her secret weapon, a walker horde thousands strong. She promised she wouldn't use it on the communities so long as no one crossed her new border. When Daryl asked what she meant, Alpha simply said, you'll see it as you leave. And sure enough, right where she said it was, Daryl, Michonne, Carol, and Yumiko found a dozen of their dead friends' reanimated heads placed on pikes including Tara, Enid, Carol, and Carol's son, Henry, along with a lot more. Like DJ and, oh man, there was, there was a dozen. There was a dozen of them. Lizzie wants us to know that Rick is shit hot. <laughs> I love that term. Rick is shit hot. I, I mean... I've always heard it said called hot as shit, but shit hot, it works. It works. Lizzie says to shut up Siri. Khaleesi writes one of the best moments. Lizzie also writes alpha is evil. That's an understatement right there. Uh, wow, this is only number seven. The season seven premiere, Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo. One of the most iconic uh, walking Dead scenes of all time, as well as one of the most divisive, Negan burst onto the scene with his vampire bat Lucille in tow, 
Rick, Daryl, Michonne, Glenn, Maggie, Abraham, Eugene, Sasha, Aaron, Rosita, and Carl had been trapped, taken prisoner, beaten down, and left without a means of escape. Negan took the time to make examples of one of them so the others knew that he was now in charge. Playing a sadistic game of eeny, meeny, miny, moe, he first killed Abraham by bashing in his skull. When Daryl lashed out, Negan went ahead and killed Glenn as punishment. It didn't stop there, though. Negan then proceeded to emotionally and physically break Rick Grimes, threatening his son and hammering home the fact that the saviors were now in charge. The episode is long, harsh, and tough to watch, and it still stands as one of the show's darkest ever moments. In my opinion, the darkest. Even if Negan is slowly proving to be one of the good guys. Can you guys think of a moment or an episode that's darker than that one? It would be this one. The, the, the next one up on the list. The Terminus episode. I want to see what the top five are if this is only number six. After the destruction of the, pre the prison in season four, the group was scattered, but they were all pushed toward a mysterious location only known as Terminus. They followed the roads and the railways in hopes of finding each other for a half a season, only for Rick, Daryl, Michonne, and Carl to arrive and realize that the place was far from a safe haven. In the season 5 opener, it came to light just how twisted the place was. Run by an army of unassuming cannibals who killed innocent passerbys in order to survive, Rick, Daryl, Glenn, and Bob were first to see the cannibals in action, sent to be killed and eaten before the group was saved by Carol. Terminus was a dark addition to the already grisly world of The Walking Dead, and although it was destroyed in the season 5 premiere, it did birth another iconic and disturbing scene. Later in the season, some of the surviving cannibals kidnapped a, recent, a recently bitten Bob and started eating his leg, only for Bob to literally get the last laugh when he revealed that he was, quote, tainted meat. That was funny. All right, number five, the governor's interrogation tactics. This should definitely be on the list, but no way would I put this ahead of Terminus and Negan. It should be on the list, but not in this order. The governor wasn't quite as effective as a villain as Negan or Alpha, but he was nonetheless, nonetheless a deeply troubling and hideous man. I disagree with that. Uh, Negan was really good at playing the evil guy. In order to do that, yeah, you do got to have a little bit of evil in you. Alpha was deranged. But if we're talking about pure madness and evil, this guy right here is number one on the list. The governor. Uh, in season three, his right-hand Merle Dixon came across Glenn and Maggie on a run and brought them back to the governor in the hopes of finding out about the prison and their group. 
Both Glenn and Maggie, loyal to a fault, refused to tell him anything. At least that was the case until the governor told Maggie, Maggie to take her shirt off so he could sexually threaten her and break her down. When this didn't work, he gave Glenn an ultimatum. Either tell him what he wants to know or one of them dies. The scene between Maggie and the governor is very uncomfortable and does a great job of showing just how dark and big bad could go. Sorry. Just how dark the big bad could go. You know, if the fact that he still doted on his undead daughter and kept undead severed heads in his room wasn't enough for you to go on. For that, for that, I guess that was enough for them to uh, put him there. Number five. Number four. I love this. Rick biting Joe's throat. Until this point in the show, Rick had done plenty of nasty things. He killed Shane, lost his mind after the death of Lori, and kept his friends in the dark about the true extent of the disease that had wiped out most of the population. But this season four scene was on a whole other level and ushered in a new, darker edge to Rick Grimes' personality. Traveling to Terminus, Rick, Michonne, and Carl were set upon Joe and the Claimers, or the Marauders, whichever way you want to go, a group that I have been hunting Rick since he was forced to kill one of them a couple of episodes earlier. The first shock comes for Daryl, who sees his friends and realizes who is be- he has been tracking this whole time, trying to spare them of Joe's wrath Daryl is beaten. Things escalate from there. Joe threatens Rick and one claimer, Dan, prepares to rape Carl. Willing to do anything to save his son, Rick snaps and tears out Joe's throat with his teeth. And as Daryl and Michonne take care of the others, he disembowels Dan. A true turning point, though not a particularly nice one. Uh, want to welcome Cassia with us on Instagram, who's waving. Yuria is also with us. Uh, welcome. One Forge is giving us a smiley love face on Instagram. Welcome to all our Instagram folks. Uh, Lisa on Facebook writes, can, can you picture Negan saying, Whoa, you're one sick dude, not cool to the governor. I actually can. I can I can picture that as well. Khaleesi writes best moment ever. So yeah, that was a great moment. Number three, Lori's final moments. Really, I mean, I, I, I'm not agreeing with the, these last five. Uh, it was a very heartbreaking moment. Lori giving birth to Ju- to Judith. Carl having to put her down because she was going to die and bleed to die, bleed to death. But darkest? I don't know. Though Laurie Grimes was far from everyone's favorite character, thanks in equal part to her awful parenting skills and inconsistent behavior, there is one thing that she got right, that the show got right with her, her death. That's not to say it was a welcome demise, exactly, only the way 
It was done, was effective, and emotional. In the beginning of Season 3, former prisoner and mini-antagonist Andrew led a horde of walkers into the prison in hopes of killing Rick. During the attack, the group was scattered and Lori began to give birth alongside Maggie and Carl. Maggie delivered the baby and Lori gave her son a speech about how much she loves him and he is destined to survive in the new world. It's a harrowing moment made all the more horrifying when Carl shoots his mother before she can reanimate and then by Rick's chilling reaction at the close of the episode. And there is question of whether Lori was actually dead when Carl shot her. Whether she was actually dead at the moment or not, I think it's quite irrelevant. She was not going to last much longer if she was still alive. Number two, Michonne and Daryl's secret. Oh, okay. After the death of Rick Grimes, The Walking Dead hit fans with a massive six-year time jump in which time many characters had grown and changed and the communities had continued to thrive. But there were gaps in the narrative and a lot of questions about what had happened during that six-year period. One such question stemmed from Daryl and Michonne, who were shown having the exact same scar on their backs. Their relationship also seemed stronger with cryptic clues scattered around in their dialogue regarding what had gone down. Near the end of the season, it was revealed that Judith was kidnapped by Jocelyn, a pre-apocalypse friend of Michonne's and her clan of almost feral kids. Daryl and Michonne tried to save Judith. Judith, <clears throat> sorry, they tried to save Judith, but were captured and branded by Jocelyn. Breaking free, Michonne got to her daughter, but had to kill Jocelyn and the kids in order to get to her. I forgot about this one. This is a dark moment, and it's always hard when you have to watch little kids having to die being murdered on the screen. Uh, but I think they executed it really well, but still would not put it as number two. Let's see what they picked as number one. All right. Okay. You know what? Uh, yeah, this is definitely a top fiver. Look at the flowers. Lizzie. Carl having to put Lizzie, Carol having, having to put Lizzie down. This was uh, a truly a dark moment. It couldn't be anything else, could it? After the fall of the prison, Carol found herself traveling with Tyrese, whose girlfriend she had just killed, baby Judith and sisters Lizzie and Mika Samuels. Unsure whether they wanted to head to Terminus, the group decided to stop off at a cabin and consider their options. While there, Carol had to come face to face with Lizzie's twisted psyche. Lizzie believed that the walkers were her friends and refused to kill them. Carol and Tyrese try to help her understand the ways of the world, and after a brief breakthrough, things seem to be going well. But then, in a cruel twist, Lizzie killed 
her own sister in hopes of her coming back as a walker, but was also just about to kill Judith. Realizing that Lizzie couldn't be saved, Carol took her away from the cabin and told her to look at the flowers and shot her in the back of the head while holding back tears. The show has done much more extravagant things, but nothing as dark and bleak as this. And yeah, this one's up for debate. This one's definitely up for debate to the Negan episode, to Terminus. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't pick which would be the top one, but this is definitely in the top three for me. And it was the first real, real, real dark moment that we got to see on the show. Out of this entire list, the one that really surprised me as making it on the list was Gabriel. Like I said, the only reason it really surprised me because we never got to see it happen. We only heard the story and that was about it. So... Anyway, waving at Cassia on Instagram, who's joining us. Uh, Yuria is waving. Anyway, let's uh, let's go to our review of The Seventh Sign. For those of you that have not watched it, like I said, it's about the second coming of Christ. It's a thriller, drama, horror. There is no blood, but it's definitely scary uh, in the real scary sense of the word. Not, you know, running away from some guy wearing a hockey mask. Anyway, uh, this is from the uh, the YouTube channel Joe Blow. Let's look at his review and we'll chat as it goes along. And for those of you that have not watched it, if you're planning on watching it, and you don't want any spoilers, this would be a good time to turn this off. If you're going to watch it and don't mind some spoilers, let's just check this out together because this is really interesting. I'm Lance Felchek for Aaron the Heads the Black Sheep, where we discuss and defend the genre's most divisive films. So, I think I've been handling this pretty well. I'm trying to eat at home more. All right. Taking care of my body. A little... Joe Blow, we can skip your little narrative here. Let's just get straight to the movie. Seventh Sign. It's been a while, maybe high school, since I last gave this a watch, and I only remember bits and pieces. I mean, this was the lawyer era of Michael Bean. Well, I mean, well, I guess it's just this and Rampage. And again, the Ziggy Stardust era lasted only a couple years. So basically, I'm trying to say this is the Michael Bean Stardust period of time, if you will. And he was alright. Man, does Rampage deserve the black sheep treatment or what? Damn fine, unsettling serial killer flick. All right, come the on. The sign is about a woman desperately trying to keep her under. For me, Michael Bean. His, one of his greatest role was in Terminator. That's the first movie that I saw him in. He was in the very first ever Terminator. He was the good guy that was sent back to save Sarah Connor and ultimately is John Connor's father. Looking German stays in her extra room, uh, Kato Kalen style. 
spending his free time bringing on the apocalypse via the Book of Revelations. We start off with Father Fucci in the Middle East, investigating the site of Giant Freeze. The prophecies are becoming true, and he seems like the only one putting the pieces together. He also walks in like the FBI agents in Die Hard. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. As the father is popping around the world, Carmen Sandiego style, the great Jürgen Prochnow. Jürgen Prochnow. Jürgen, Jürgen Prochnow. Listen, if you saw my last name written down, you couldn't say it either, so. Jürgen Prochnow's David Bannon, who'll always be Sutter Kane to me, is one step ahead breaking seals and setting the whole plan in motion. The seventh sign is a big movie played small. Demi Moore has trouble conceiving and there are hints about previous miscarriages. This film is mostly framed around trying to give birth to a healthy baby that will bring on the end. The big events play in the background, and it's done in a way that it never feels awkward. I could have seen this twisted the other way though, where we side quest to our main character trying to have her kid in the middle of everything crumbling. Kinda like Godzilla, where the characters were sidetracked in favor of destruction from a giant, camera-shy lizard. Who the f kills off Tim Watley 20 minutes in? Either way, that's kinda what I expected during this rewatch. I know for some reason I remember being more grand, but I like this tale framed in more of a personal way. It ends up with more heart. I've always liked Demi more. Maybe it was watching Ghost with my mom as a kid, or maybe it was watching Striptease, alone in my room when I was 11. Sit goddamn! Goddamn! Though this may not be a very out of her comfort zone type of role, I like the character of Abby and she pulls off the cute suburban mom thing pretty well. I don't know, maybe because most of my friends are having kids, or I don't know, maybe it comes with age. But her arc of trying to save her baby's life uh, got me a little sad a few times. Demi and her throaty voice was the perfect casting choice. I mean, she's sexy, innocent, yet never too tough. There was a level of vulnerability that won me over. Michael Bean plays defense lawyer Russell Quinn, who's representing a special needs kid on death row for the murder of his parents. His parents were brother and sister, executed for the word of God. His angle is to do his job and try and get him off death row, but his client, Jimmy, claims it was an order from God and won't get tested for incompetence, which would be his last legal ace up his sleeve. Bean is a bit underutilized, but uh, honestly, it's not really his movie, so his part of the tale is just mostly in the background until all paths merge at the end. Now, I do like the idea of him caring about his client, Jimmy, and that he desperately wants to have his life spared. Russell is a good guy, and Bean does his best with what the script gives him. He's good. He's really good. I also like that he's not tough here. I feel like, you know, Michael Bean's known for being a badass. But in this movie, he's just a hardworking man trying to live the American dream. These Black Sheep videos have always been part review, part retrospect. And I like to get into actual scenes which at times will ruin a movie that's been out for three decades. It's a 31-year-old movie. And to get into what I really love, this will include spoilers. I shouldn't have to say that, but be a nice guy. The quiet and menacing David Bannon, who has the face of a villain. I mean, some people, like Jürgen, just play better as a bad guy. He's not a dialogue-heavy character, yet Jeez says Christ. more than enough with an epic stare. And in one of the best scenes in the movie, she stabs him when he seems like he's about to attack and reveal he is the second coming. He's not trying to hurt anyone. Well, technically everyone. David Bannon is Jesus Christ. Now, I have a strict hierarchy when it comes to movie Jesuses. Coming in third is the stoic and contemplative William Defoe from The Last Temptation of Christ. 
Second is the more grounded and realistic Jim Caviezel in Passion of the Christ. And first has to be the soulful and passionate SOB, Ted Neely. Let's just admit that nobody came close to telling Judas to fuck off. Someone had to turn you in like a common criminal, like a wounded animal. Wow. Get out! They're waiting! Get out! Now Jurgen Proctor <laughs> comes in like a Timothy Dalton slash Daniel Craig of Jesus Christ actors. I mean, I, technically Daniel Craig is the new version of Dalton, which was the dark and brooding Bond, but his portrayal of Jesus is its just a little tougher, a little more raw. I love his portrayal as it kind of bucks the normal trend. I not only love the twist, but that his JC is just a different take that still follows the rules that are set. Then to find out Father Fucci is the wandering Jew. I am Carter Phyllis. Pilot's gatekeeper? <laughs> he kills his old friend just to keep his secret. Immortality is his curse and will do everything to make sure Christ brings on the end of the world. All this culminates in a race against time as Abby realizes Jimmy's death will be the fifth sign. The movie builds well, and by the time things start to get epic, it packs a big punch. Like I said, this was a small-scale film, and by the time we get to the peak, it's well-earned. Father tries to stop Abby by killing Jimmy, while only wounding her. As the biblical earthquakes intensify, she goes into labor, and we come to the best part of the film. I don't know why this affected me the way it did. I guess I could see some folks scoff at it and label it cheesy, but this ending had heart. Throughout the film, Abby has this reoccurring dream. Will you die for him? Will you die for him? No! Which turns out was Father Fucci, but giving birth to a dead child is the end. So having her finally understand the question, it's beautiful. Die for him! I will die for you. Russell makes peace and gains a son at the cost of his wife's soul. It hit me hard, and I don't know, maybe it's that I'm more aware of the frailty of life, the fact that I'm getting older, or the fact that people are dying in hospitals right now, I don't know. The seventh sign may be heavy-handed for some, and at times I could probably agree. But besides being a bit dated, this was a great biblical thriller, with enough heart to move you when needed. Jurgen plays a great Jesus. Demi and Bean are perfect together and have a lot of chemistry. And the story is character-driven, with enough at stake to keep you invested till the end. Life can be quick, and with all that's going on, Alright, you guys get the point, and I apologize. That video was far from, uh, interesting. He did a real crappy job of explaining the movie. It was a lot more fast-paced than that. The story was deeper. He didn't even touch on that uh, teenager that ends up helping to me more decipher the seventh sign and to find out that the death of her the 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 death of a sorry the birth of a dead baby is the seventh and final sign to me more was the final sign and it was she and her hope and her sacrifice in the end 
where she said, yes, I will die for him, that she exchanged her soul for her baby soul, and the world was given another chance. Sounds a little cheesy having me say it like that, but it's a great movie. Uh, you don't get to see many of these uh, second coming type apocalyptic movies anymore. Uh, this is probably like really one of the last good ones that we got. And it's been, you know, 30 years ago. But check it out. Great cast. As you heard in that video, Michael Bean. He's not the main star, but he plays a good supporting role. Demi Moore is the uh, star of the movie she does a great job she's a great actress definitely worth checking out so uh philip is going to watch it as well you guys won't be disappointed anyway guys i am going to cut today's episode a little short again my deepest apologies for the late start tonight uh come monday we're going to have our special guest and go back to our regular schedule all the big projects that I was currently working on have been completed successfully. Thank God. Uh, so please tune in on Monday to watch Matthew Solomon, who is the star of the movie Followed. And don't forget, we also have Adrian Barbeau, who starred in Escape from New York, The Fog, and a ton more movies uh, coming up at the end of the month. So we have a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, please check us out on any of our uh, social media platforms. Head on over to YouTube. Look us up. The name is Dead Talk Live. Until Monday, guys, stay safe. And don't forget to tune in for our special guest. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. And I will see you on Monday. Stay walking. Good night.